Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter number 4, and I'll give you a little bit of an introduction here, let you rest your legs before we stand for the reading of God's Word, but we've made our way, this is a mini-series, and you know I'm not usually one uh, for topical, but the Lord laid this one on my heart, and I wanted to get in, and, and I'm just, I'm not bright enough to do a lot of topical sermons and service, uh, uh, mini-series, um, but uh, when the Lord put something on your heart, you hand it out. And that's what I, uh, years ago, my Bible study, my personal Bible study had become sermon preparation. And it's so easy in ministry to do that. Uh, you substitute personal time in the Word and personal time with the Lord for sermon preparation. And you start to think to yourself, well, I've spent a lot of time preparing my messages as of late. So that, yeah, I've been spending time with the Lord. Uh, but I determined a long time ago to quit doing it that way and do it the other way around and just spend time with God. And out of my time, my one-on-one time with the Lord, let the sermons come from that. And so uh, this is something that uh, uh, through some of the different studies that I've been doing recently, God had laid on my heart. And through this series, we've, we've looked at, tried to put a spotlight on His love. And the first week we spent just looking at the love of God, and we looked at how that was made uh, as, as evident as could possibly be made at the cross of Christ. Second, which was last week, we looked at uh, what it was to have our love properly directed. We looked at how many times we, we love self uh, so much that uh, we lose sight of everybody and everything else, and our proper direction, the proper direction that we ought to uh, have our love is toward the person of Jesus Christ. God is where our love ought to be centered and focused. And Christ uh, Himself addressed this when He referenced Deuteronomy chapter 6, that thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then He brought in another Deuteronomy, uh, uh, Deuteronical uh, verse, which was simply this, to love your neighbor... As yourself. And so the proper direction of love is never toward me. The proper direction is toward God and then toward other people. Now, I have the primary, if I have the primary object, which is that my love is compelled by the love of Christ, if I have that correct, then I will love him because he loves me, not in order for him to love me. And then I will begin to love others correctly, and everything else kind of falls in line as far as God, then others, and then I don't even think of myself. Put myself on the back burner. Now we finish up with a look at the simplest way here to demonstrate and enact that love. So stand with me, if you would, as we read the Word of God. Stand with me for the reading of His Word. Let's read 1 John chapter number 4 starting in verse 7. And as we read this, I want you to note that many times you hear, love is a verb. Well, love in the English language can be used as a verb, as a noun, and as an adjective, not adverb, adjective. And you're going to notice several times in this passage where that changes around from verb to noun. I want you to notice that as we read. Look at verse 7. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment, have we from him that he who loveth God love also his brother. Father, thank you for your word. Now I beg you, Lord, that you would hide me behind your word, behind your cross, that you would speak to me as you speak through me. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We finish up here with this look at the simplest way to demonstrate, or can I say enact, love. Notice what love caused in verse 10. Notice how love caused verse, it, what love caused in verse 10. Go back there with me if you would. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Now you'll notice there, the very first word of love, verse, the third ver, uh, word in the verse here, uh, verse number 10, herein is love. This is the noun portion of it. Not that we loved God, verb, but that he loved us, verb. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what was it that love enacted? Love enacted Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying in your place, in your stead, for you. This is what love did. Love compelled God uh, to, uh, because he is love, and anything that is, uh, has to do with love, it, it's from God. It is a result of God. He decided, I'm going to enact this love. And what he did was he stepped into eternity, or he stepped out of eternity into time. He robed himself in flesh, uh, became a man, lived that life that you and I should have lived, and then died that death that you and I deserved to die. That was love. 
And it wasn't that we loved him, but he loved us. And this is where we've got to get everything right and in order. We did not uh, choose to love him. He loved us first. And then because we saw how much he loved us, we responded. And so as we get into this, we've got to come to the conclusion that it is not me that initiates anything. It is Jesus Christ. God is the one that starts it all. He's the one that continues it all. He's the one that keeps it all. It's not of me. It is all of him. The Greek word here is not a noun, but it is a verb calling for action when it says, "If we, uh, uh, for he loved us. Uh, God loved us, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Then it says in verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, this is what we've been trying to focus on all the way through, and I wanted to uh, kind of come to a, a conclusion at this topic right here uh, where we look at something that is a, is a bad word for many people. It's a, it's a shunned word, and I want to go ahead and rip that Band-Aid off because if we, if we take too long, then we're going to kind of uh, make our way there, and then someone's going to hear this word, and they're going to immediately shut down and ignore everything else that I say for the rest of the message. Are you ready for this? The easiest way to enact love, now let me rephrase that because it may not be easy, but the simplest way is to forgive. You got anybody you need to forgive today? You got anybody that needs to forgive you today? Is there someone in your life that you thought to yourself, there's absolutely no way, no way I'll ever forgive them? If God so loved us, we ought to love others. Now here's where we're going to kind of focus in on everything because uh, if you look at a couple things here, uh, theologians have, uh, have long uh, argued and discussed uh, between different types of love. And there's, there's two major types of love that we're going to look at. Number one, the love of complacency. And then number two, the love of uh, b- benevolence. And I want to kind of look at these. Love of complacency, let's look at that one first, is the approval uh, of qualities in the object. And so uh, if you were to read some of John Edwards' writings, uh, he's, made, he's known for making the statement, I have uh, sheer complacency. Or I find myself complacent in Christ. And in today's vernacular, we think to ourselves, well, gee whiz, he really didn't love God that much, did he? He's complacent. And we talk about complacency as a, uh, you know, come see, come saw, whatever it is, you know. But complacency is having a, a satisfaction in the state of someone based on simply them. And so we have in this, uh, in this term a desire or a, a love just because of who the person is. I have a love of complacency in God because of what he has done. But now I want you to notice the other one here, love, a love of benevolence. This is bestowing good on a person irrespective of them. Now, it's one thing for me to love someone because they're worthy of my love. Or it's one thing for me to love... It's Okay, maybe you've never taught Sunday school before, but I've taught Sunday school and I've run bus routes and I understand what it is to love my children and then 
to love other children. <laughs> if you ain't been there, you've not been around too many other kids, right? But now there's, there's something about, I, you know, you pick up a child and everybody's like, oh, my, my baby, my baby's so pretty, so cute. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen a cute baby. I mean, they all come out and they're just like, oh, <laughs> like naked mole rat or something, you know. But everybody's, oh, no, my baby, from the first moment I saw that baby. That's because it's yours. <laughs> yeah. Go to the hospital sometime, just stand there in a the maternity ward and pop in and go, hey, I want to, you know. <laughs> Wash that thing off first, will you? So we understand what it is, right? There's a love given to them because of who they are. But the love of the cross had nothing to do with who you are. Everything to do with who He is. He loved while you and I were unlovable. Enemies of the cross, the Bible lets us know. While we were sinners, I'm talking about a thrice holy God. A God who, who is so perfect, He could not be in the presence of imperfection. And when He would walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, something came between them. They ate a fruit and He couldn't come around them anymore. Not because He didn't want to, but because He was so perfect, His perfection prevented it. He can't be in the presence of imperfection. And yet, when I was imperfect, I did a whole lot more. I don't know about you. Maybe y'all are going to sit there like a bunch of pious gas bags. But I know me. I did a whole lot more than just eat a fruit. I know me. And in that wicked, sinful state, He loved me. That's a different kind of love. That's a type of love that you and I will not be able to understand until we meet Him. I don't get that kind of love from my buddies down at the club. I don't get that kind of love from my coworkers. I don't even get that kind of love. Look, I love my wife. I love my wife with all my heart. I absolutely adore my wife. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of times where she does not have a love of complacency for me. And I'm telling you, not just a love of complacency, I'm talking in modern day complacency. She's like, I don't really want to look at you right now. Are those your socks? Well, I hope they're my socks. If some other man's socks, we've got a problem. <laughs> you know, pick them up. But God loved me regardless of me. This type of love the love of benevolence is not a love determined by others, but by one's own character. Now here's the thing that we've got to get under control. What kind of character do I have? We went through the book of Philippians not too long ago. And we saw this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If He loved us, so ought we to love others. What was Jesus' call? 
follow me. So today, beloved, I want us to think about one thing. Am I following Him in the area of forgiveness? Am I following Him in this area of love? This love is not determined by them, but by my own character. There are two characteristics of this simple yet profound way to enact love. Uh, there are uh, several different things. The two main characteristics are the receiving and the granting of forgiveness. But We're going to look at three um, aspects to all of this. Number one is confession and repentance. Number two will be self-condemnation. And then number three, forgiving others. For those of you taking notes, number one will be confession and repentance. Number two, self-condemnation. And then number three, the forgiving of others. Let's look at this first one. Jump back with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. Uh, look at the 32nd Psalm, if you will, please. 32nd Psalm. And the 32nd Psalm gives a beautiful, beautiful picture, picture here of the one who is forgiven. I love the sound of Bibles, pages turning. When we weren't able to have services, Brother Matt sent me a, a video or an audio clip just of him turning pages in his Bible. He says, I know you missed this. Yeah, I did. Look at uh, Psalm chapter 32 with me. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Notice what he's saying. He, this word for blessed, the way we would say it today is happy, but not just happy. <laughs> oh, it's a nice day outside. But the type of happiness or the type of joy and excitement that one would feel when they're standing at the, at, at the front of the church and, and not too long ago, Brother Brian knows exactly what I'm talking about. He just went through this not too long ago. You're standing at the front of the church and you look back toward the back of the church and those doors open up and there's that woman in white and you are happy. Blessed. Blessed is the man, it says whose transgression is forgiven. When's the last time you have just simply rejoiced in the truth that your sins are forgiven? How long has it been since you've gotten excited about the fact that He forgave you? Do you know what you are? Do you know what I am? And He forgave me? Now that's something to rejoice about. We get excited come game day and our team's running across the line. We get excited when our kids uh, bring home a report card. Some of us get upset when our kids bring home a report card. But we get excited about all these different things that take place in our life. I've got a new car. I'm so excited. But when's the last time I got excited and I just threw down and stomped a little and I didn't care who saw how much I was happy and rejoicing and blessed because my sins are forgiven. <laughs> you can't get excited about that. You don't know Him. We can get excited about everything else in this world. Pastor Andy, I had a kid ask me, Pastor Andy, you scream all the time. 
Let's see. Well, I, yeah. Why do you scream like that? I had one. I'm not going to say any names. But that person is here today who told me, you wake me up. <laughs> Most of you probably have an idea that that one lives in my own home. I said, I get excited. People can go and they hoop and holler and paint their chest blue at a baseball game or a football game. Waving a cowbell like a ding dong. But then we talk about the love of God and we go, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Yep, Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Go get them Buckeyes! You know, we got to be careful here. We got to understand what's worth getting excited over. Throughout history, though, catch this. Throughout history, God has been eager to forgive, looking for an opportunity. He's been eager to forgive and to restore man to a right relationship with him. Before Adam and Eve fell, he already had the plan. He knew if I create these two, this is what's going to happen. And the Godhead talked amongst themselves and said, let us make man. Profound words. Profound. Receiving forgiveness through the confession and repentance of our sins. God's Word is abundantly clear about how He is excited to forgive. Knowing this ought to remove any concern about facing the reality of sin. But we minimize sin, don't we? Well, I was wronged, or I made a mistake, or that was an error in judgment. No, it was a sin. Let's call it what it is. It's a little, it's just a little white lie. No, it's a sin. Well, I didn't follow through, I thought about it. It's a sin. Jesus said, if you've done it in your heart, you've done it. We need to quit minimizing it. And I have no need to minimize it when I realize how eager He is to forgive. Now, there were times growing up, I'm sure you had the same. Maybe maybe you didn't. Maybe you all were perfect growing up. My wife's like, I never did that. But I would come home and I was afraid to come home. And I thought, maybe I shouldn't come home. And there were times where from a hundred feet away, I could see the vein bulging from my father's head. (laughs) This is not going to be a good day, is it? (laughs) But I still came home. You know why? Because I knew he loved me. And I might have gotten a thrashing. (laughs) Well deserved. But he still loved me. 
So I still came home. If we understand the love of God, it takes fear away. God does not just forgive us though and then leave us helpless. He teaches and guides us from sin to holiness. Many live in condemnation when God desires for you to live in forgiveness. Now, I want you to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction because we have to, we have to make sure that we get, our, we get our terms correctly because condemnation is not the same as conviction. We say that Jesus Himself said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That was His 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 job that was his ministry his mission was not to condemn the world was already condemned condemnation attacks and you're worthless because you did this conviction on the other hand says i want you to change something You see, the, the believer, the child of God, lives with the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them, convicting them on a regular basis of things that need to be changed. As I open my word, the word of God, not mine, but God's word, as I open my Bible and as I, I sit under teaching or as I listen to the word of God being preached or as I'm spending time in prayer, as I'm making my way down through the, uh, through life and my kids say, Dad, do you think you should have done that? I, I, I am confronted by the Holy Spirit and convicted to change something. That's conviction. Condemnation, however, kicks you while you're down and wants to keep you down. Condemnation is not of God. Conviction is of God. While condemnation attacks your value, conviction says, I love you too much to allow this to continue. You are precious to me. Rather than hide from and ignore conviction, we need to learn to acknowledge the error and make correction. This is conviction and repentance. People say, well, what's the difference? You know, well, conviction is when I acknowledge it. Yes, that is wrong. Repentance is when I turn from it and make correction. Note that God is not, He's not interested in keeping score. He does, however, keep track of His children, making sure that they're on the right path and offering forgiveness before they even ask. 1 John 1.9 teaches us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Don't forget that part. We like the forgiveness, but we don't focus on the follow-up, do we? After I'm forgiven, he goes through the process of cleansing me from all unrighteousness continually. Look at number two with me, if you would. Self-condemning piety. 
This self-condemnation. When one fails to confess and to repent to God, they fall into self-condemnation. Self-condemnation is... uh, Oh, it's a, it's a tricky little area to get into. Uh, take a look with me, if you would, uh, at Romans chapter number 2, please. Romans chapter 2. And as I told you, Jesus does not condemn, but offers forgiveness. He said that in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But over here in Romans chapter 2, I want you to notice something. Look at verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest, does the same things. We condemn ourselves pretty quick, don't we? And you know when I condemn myself the fastest? is when I'm looking at everybody else's faults and shortcomings. Well, (laughs) I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Wait a minute, I am like that guy. Right? Then we start to beat ourselves while we're down. But I want you to check what's going on with self-condemnation because self-condemnation is actually very prideful. People say things like, well, I just want to beat myself up over it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I understand God doesn't condemn me, but I do condemn myself. And I, I, you know, it's a, God can forgive me, but I'm still, I'm holding a grudge against myself. You know, that is a very prideful act and it places yourself in the seat of God. Self-condemnation places me right in the throne of God and puts me in a place where I make the decision now. Pride places me as the one to punish or to condemn, and pride can also place me as the one to excuse or justify. That's a prideful thing. Pride determines what I think God should do based on whether I think He ought to be lenient or strict. Remember I asked you last week when we were looking at this, uh, uh, this idea of properly directed love, I, I made the statement, go back in your mind at something that happened that you're upset about. Maybe something in your past. And you wish that it had never happened. And I asked you, how would you have handled it if you were God at that time? What would you have done differently? And if an answer comes to mind, that's pride. That's saying, I would have done it better than God. I'm not God, folks. Neither are you. And I think if the one who is standing outside of time who sees all, knows all, is everywhere present, decided to handle things the way He did. I think I can trust Him. Now, I want you to notice something here. Scripture does not call us to forgive ourselves. How many times have you heard things like, well, God can forgive me. I understand God can forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. 
again, you have placed yourself in the place of God. Because Jesus said something that was very interesting. If you look at John chapter 19, verse 30, He says the words, It is what? Finished. You know, we read in 1 John a little bit ago the word perfect. You know it comes from the same root word. The word that was used in John chapter 19 is the word tetelestai. Telos, which means done, completely paid, fully and perfectly accomplished. If God is able to look at you and say, finished, who are we to hold a grudge? I love Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 talks about, it says, if, uh, uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? It is God that justifies. And God, when I am, when I am in, in and of my own self, I am worthless. I am refuse. I am, the, 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 the apostle or the prophet said it this way. He says, our righteousness, the very best I can do is as a filthy rag. But when I accept Christ as my personal Savior and I am clothed in His righteousness, guess what? He says, justified. Which means just as if He has always been. He does not see my sin peeking through anywhere. He sees perfection. I come to Him clothed in Jesus' righteousness. I can gain no better standing. So who am I? How dare I seem to think I can't forgive myself? He forgave you. Don't live in self-condemnation. Don't live there. Live in the forgiveness of God. If Jesus paid it all, how dare we think there's anything left to fulfill? Let's make our way toward the end of this. and Look at number three, forgiving others. Now, I probably should set the order of service where we sing and then we do point one, then we sing and then we do point two because it's at this stage of the game that people start to tune out. It's like, all right, better hustle up, buddy. you got five minutes. Please don't tune out on this part. There are two aspects of forgiving others. Being forgiving of others and seeking forgiveness. Often at a moment like this, the only thing that people focus on is the other person who needs to come ask forgiveness from me. Or who needs to forgive me. Right now, I know we've talked a lot about not focusing on self, but here's what I want you to do. Focus on your part. What do you have to do? Perhaps there's something for which you need forgiveness. Go to God, confess it, go to the person, take care of business. That's biblical. 
Go to God, and if at all possible, go to the person, confess your sin. This is not for your vertical relationship, but your horizontal relationship. Understand that. We're going to get to that part here in just a moment. But my love of God propels my love for you and my desire to mend what is broken. My love for Him pushes me toward mending these relationships. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've done something, said something, or maybe I was not even aware of what I had done or said, and all I knew was there was animosity between me and a brother or sister in Christ, and I, and I would lay in bed, and I'd just stare at the ceiling, and I'd God, I gotta get this, I gotta get this taken care of. I gotta get this right. I gotta get this taken care of. But forgiveness, understand this. Forgiveness is, is not freeing the individual to repeat, but frees us to show the love of God. It's never passive, it's always an active thing. But perhaps there's someone that you need to forgive. In that, here's what I encourage you to do. Don't look at the individual. Don't look at the sin. Don't see them. Look past them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And if I see the cross of Jesus Christ, and I understand the cross of Jesus Christ correctly, then everything else is going to start to come in. Understanding Christ's sacrifice is pivotal to understanding my ability to forgive. Because if I don't understand what Christ did for me, it'll be very difficult for me to want to do the same for others. So I've got to look to the cross. Some think that they don't need much forgiveness. Well, when you know, God didn't, I mean, I really wasn't that bad of a person. When this is the case, they're not very willing to forgive others either. But my inability to forgive is evidence of my neglect of the cross. Mark it down. My inability to forgive someone else is because there's something foggy in my view of the cross. The clearer my view of the cross becomes, the easier it will be for me to forgive. So if you're having a hard time forgiving today, Beloved, know that you're not alone. You're not the only person that struggles with that. But if I can encourage you in any way, shape, or form, it is to pick this book up and learn of the cross of Jesus Christ. Examine yourself in light of the Scriptures and understand who you were and what He has done. Understanding His love drives everything. Now, invariably, someone will ask, but what if the person does not ask for forgiveness? Do I have to forgive them? Well, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, you go to them. And he says, if that doesn't work, you take someone with you and you go to them. Seek restitution. That's Christ's way. Finally, 
my relationship with God, understand this beyond anything else that I have said, my relationship with God can be hindered because of my relationships on earth. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If I am harboring bitterness and resentment, how dare I presume that He will forgive or that He will hear. Matthew chapter 6. If I don't forgive my brother, God won't forgive me. Look at the, our model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. What does He say? Forgive us our debts as... We forgive our debtors. You know that two-letter word, as, means in the same way, whilst at the same time. So I could effectively say, forgive me of what I've done the same way, and at the same time, I am forgiving others of what they have done to me. Anybody want to pray that today? That's tough. But realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, my horizontal and vertical relationships are interdependent. If my relationship with Him is not right, you can mark it down. My relationship with you is not going to be right. And if my relationship with you is not right, I'm going to have problems with my relationship with Him. Bitterness, resentment will stop you from growing in the Lord. Can I just very candidly offer to you just a a couple things here in, in closing my Bible. You know I'm done. Perhaps you're here today and you have never experienced the love of God. You know, I've heard about God for a long time. I've heard about Him all my life. I, I, I was raised in church. I, I know everything that there is. Probably, Pastor, I probably know more about the Bible than you know. But I have not experienced that kind of love. The love that you're talking about is foreign to me. If that's you today, come to know the love of Christ this morning. You come forward, there are going to be people here that would absolutely love to take a Bible in their hand, open it up, show you from God's Word, not from their own mouth, but from God's Word, how you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you are a born-again child of God. Perhaps you're here and you say, you know, I, I, <laughs> I know I'm a child of God, but pastor, I've been living under self-condemnation for a long time. And I'm done. And I just want to live the rest of my days rejoicing in His forgiveness. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are not imputed unto him. Mine are forgiven. And that's where I want to live. Perhaps you're here today and there's someone that you know you need to forgive. Well, how do I know if I need to forgive them, Pastor? Pretty simple. Are they on your mind while we're talking about forgiveness? 
Yeah. Show them the love of Christ. Look to the cross. Get it taken care of today.